I told Mark before the service started, I said, I hope, I hope the music is going to be good because the preaching is going to be pretty mediocre this morning. <laughs> and they did not disappoint. It was wonderful. If you have your Bibles, find Ephesians 2, please. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, we're going to read. And before I dig into that, let me uh, say briefly how grateful Carrie and I are for this uh, nearly four weeks of, of sabbatical. On our way to New York City, we stopped into Richmond, Virginia, and had a great visit with some dear friends uh, there. And then, of course, well, after, after New York, we, we went to Orange Beach with kids and grandkids, and that was, that was great fun. And, but in the middle, kind of the meat of our, our sabbatical was, was New York City and work with uh, graffiti Church, a church we help sponsor there, a church that's not, it's not a large church, but they do so much with so little that it's an honor to be part of a partnership with them. And uh, I hope we try, I, I preached and taught a little bit, and we tried to bless their staff and volunteers and encourage them. And I hope our partnership with them will deepen and, and expand. It wasn't all uh, work, though. We had fun. Like, there was the time that... Um, uh, I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral in an, on an afternoon uh, to meditate while Carrie was a block away worshiping at Saks Fifth Avenue. And then, though to be fair, there was also the day that she fed the homeless in the park while I played um, Beth Page Black, one of the premier uh, golf courses in the country, and I've got an awful scorecard to prove that I played, I played Beth Page Black. But Carrie and I had time together. It was wonderful. For We had more time together in those uh, four weeks than we had spent together, I'm sure, in the last four months. And so we appreciate that opportunity and uh, the opportunity to, to be the pastor of a church that's so much fun to come back to, quite frankly. Well, we're going to talk about citizenship this morning. And I want to set up our text, our, our reading. Of course... Um, in the New Testament days, the, there were lots of new Christians who'd come from outside the Jewish faith. They were Gentiles, non-Jews, and, and they were new to this whole movement, this movement that goes back, of course, as far as Adam and Eve and all, all the way back to the beginning. They were just catching up on the story. So God reminds them through Paul in Ephesians 2 that initially he had established a people, an, a nation, called Israel, called out of the world, not of their, of their own merit, but because of, of God's grace. But God needed a people, people who would represent Him. And, and these people, the, the intent was, would draw others uh, to God through, through that people. But now, in Jesus, God has expanded His invitation, and, and, the, and the Gentiles would be grafted into, like, like grafting into a plant, if we borrow language from uh, Romans 11. They were grafted in. Other language means they were, says they were brought into the household, or as today we will say they were invited into new citizenship. So now these, these di this diverse group of people were all part of a spiritual kingdom. They were part of this spiritual citizenship, citizens in this kingdom with, with Jesus as king. And that's what we're going to read about here in chapter 2, verse 11 and following. Therefore, remember that formerly, formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and 
are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, and this is the heart of the text, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of his household. Once again, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are now fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Today we're talking about citizenship. This week, Kristen, uh, who spoke on TV Church, uh, talked about a recent event where she was invited to the home of an Afghan family. Some of you know that our church cooperated with some other uh, wonderful entities around Huntsville to settle an Afghan family. Z is the husband or father of the family. They have 15 children, by the way. Z was a, was a fighter alongside uh, our American soldiers for 20 years in Afghanistan. So when the Taliban came to power, of course, their families' lives were in danger. And, and so the, our American government brought them and, of course, lots of other Afghanis to the U.S. And, and we helped partner with some folks to settle them in Huntsville. And so, so Scott Day, then our minister of missions, and Kristen Prasad went to the, the, the day in their home, their new home, to celebrate their, their new life here. And, and she talked about how Z described be, what it meant to him and his family to be, to be in America, the, how, how grateful they are, how, how wonderful it is to be in this, in this land. And think about all that they've experienced in Afghanistan. Also on TV's church uh, this week, Lisa Cece interviewed uh, Vanessa and uh, Priscilla uh, de Rubais. Vanessa and Alex, you know, lead Aviva Church that meets in our fellowship hall on Sunday mornings. Vanessa and Priscilla talked about becoming citizens of the United States. They came here from Argentina as missionaries to the United States. and They talked about gaining permanent residency and then going through the process of studying for the test and then becoming U.S. citizens. In fact, I remember some of you were there in our, our God and Country service on a Wednesday night several years ago when uh, the Deirubay's family led us in the Pledge of Allegiance. They were brand new American citizens. This week, over 50 people died in the back of a tractor trailer, packed in there like cattle, 
in an effort to make their way into our country. Now, I'm not going to talk about government policies regarding immigration. My point in telling that story, reminding you of that, is that there are people who will risk their very lives for the opportunity that they believe awaits them here in the United States. There are people around the world who would give just about anything to enjoy what you and I enjoy and maybe, if we're not careful, take for granted. Of course, for all those who love our nation, admire our nation, would want to be part of our nation, there are those, there's those who hate us deeply. There are lots of people in corners of the world who consider us all infidels and worthy of death. A couple of weeks ago, Carrie and I went down with an old friend of mine, Michael Chance, who he took us to the, the memorial of the World Trade Center. Those two gigantic holes in the earth that now filled with this water and, and the names of those who died. He took us to two names in particular, two friends of his, young Asian American Christian ladies who were active in their faith and active in their church. Their names are next to each other at the request of their families because they were friends, and he told us their stories. Michael was in New York City when the planes hit on September 11, 2001, and just reliving that with him uh, sparked within me that just a renewed sense of, of my deep uh, patriotism. It is an honor, it is a privilege, and it is a great responsibility to be a citizen of the United States of America. But we are citizens of another kingdom. We are citizens of a kingdom represented not by a flag, but by a cross. And there's some things about that other kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, that I want us to make sure we don't forget. One, let's always keep in mind our ultimate citizenship. When we moved to Nigeria several years ago, our kids were little, five, three, and Grant, our youngest, was 10 months old. When we got to Nigeria, we wanted to be as Nigerian as possible, so we bought Nigerian clothes, and about every other day, we'd wear Nigerian garb, and we ate uh, Nigerian food, and Carrie and I studied Yoruba, which is the language of the part of the country where we lived. Our kids had uh, Yoruba names. Our, our language teacher gave them names. Ayobami, Landon was Ayobami, and Brennan is Motunrayo, and, uh, and Grant was Apweyemi, or Apwe for short. And, and he went by Apwe more than Grant. In fact, I've got a video, at least we had it, one of those old cameras. Remember before cell phones, you took videos on cell phones? We had these big cameras, looked like we worked for WHNT or something. Remember those? And I was taking a video, and Grant was, was shoveling dirt. And I said, Grant, and he was trying to get him to look up. He didn't look up. I said, Grant, again, he didn't look up. I said, Apwe, and he immediately, uh, he looked up. He, he was like a little Nigerian. And then we were getting ready. We'd been there three and a half years. We're preparing to come back for our first vacation to the U.S. And so we were packing and planning, and we were talking about how much fun we were going to have in the United States. And Grant, now just barely five, asked me, Daddy, have you ever been to the United States? I said, yeah, his son actually did, actually grew up there. He, we were so Nigerian, he forgot we were American. 
If we're not careful, we'll, we'll be so identified with, with this kingdom, and that's not a bad thing, but we'll be so identified with this kingdom that we'll forget that our ultimate hope and our ultimate identity are in another kingdom. In fact, if we, if we, if we place too much hope in this kingdom, if we, if we ask our city and state and national governments to to meet our deepest needs or to fulfill our greatest longings, we will be very disappointed. We will be asking of them things that they cannot deliver. Our ultimate hope is in another kingdom. And our ultimate identity is in another kingdom. I love the fact that I'm a citizen of the United States by the grace of God, but I am also by His grace the citizen of a greater kingdom, and I cannot forget that. So let's not forget our citizenship, our ultimate citizenship. Two, let's remember the difference between our Christian faith and our patriotism. Let's remember the difference between our Christian faith and our patriotism. C.S. Lewis, of course, a great writer. We all admire him as as an academician and deep-thinking Christian. One of his most popular books is uh, The Screwtape Letters, which is a fictitious book. It's a collection book. It's It's a collection of of fictitious letters from Screwtape, who is a, a senior demon in hell, to Wormwood, who's a junior demon assigned to earth. And, and Wormwood's primary assignment is this new Christian young man. And so the whole book is, these letters are, are strategies to trip up this young man who is a new believer. And one of the ways that Screwtape says to Wormwood he can trip him up is by, by letting him confuse his patriotism and his Christian faith. In fact, this is the line from the book. Let him begin by treating patriotism as part of his religion. Sometimes we get patriotism and our faith all mixed up. Grant was playing in a a little league tournament. It was a sanctioned little league all-star tournament, one of those that could lead, you know, to the little league world series. It didn't, but So this is a real live little league tournament. And so before the first game, the guy on the PA system asked all the guys to line up along first base and third base line, take off their hats, and repeat the little league pledge, which I didn't know there was a little league pledge. But it begins with these words. I trust in God. I love my country. I grabbed a pen. I got to write that down, I said. I like that. I trust in God. I love my country. Two very different things. Two very important things that have to be kept in that order. I do love my country, and we're going to talk about a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But, but our hope is not in this kingdom. Our hope is in another kingdom. Let's always keep in mind our ultimate citizenship, and let's remember the difference between our patriotism and our Christian faith. Finally, third, don't get too excited. This is a long third. Don't think we're going home that quick. (laughs) Our citizenship in God's kingdom heightens our responsibility to this kingdom. Let me say that again. 
Being citizens of the kingdom of heaven does not minimize, does not negate our responsibility to Huntsville or Decatur or Scottsboro or Fayetteville. And our, our, our citizenship in God's kingdom does not negate or minimize our responsibility to the state of Alabama or to the United States of America. In fact, being citizens of God's kingdom heightens, raises our responsibility to our city and state and nation. And being a part of, of, of God's kingdom means we have a greater responsibility. God's eternal kingdom means we have an even greater responsibility to, to this temporal, earthly kingdom. It doesn't take much uh, to recognize the deep division, divisions that remain uh, in our country. We're still divided over politics, over race, over still somewhat divided over COVID restrictions. It doesn't take a prophet to recognize that. I wonder sometimes if we'll ever go back to what I would call the good old days when, when we disagreed with each other but didn't hate each other. I, I'm old enough to remember when, when we could go to barbecues and family meals and, and talk about politics and, and still have a hamburger and a Pepsi. And sometimes I, I think the pendulum will swing back. I'm, a, I'm an optimist. I, I've, seen the, I've seen the pendulum swing in a number of arenas, and I, I'm actually part of a group with some guys, um, a friend of mine, Phil Fagg, who now lives in Alexandria, Virginia. He gets these guys together online. Some of them I don't even know personally, but he gets us online before major elections and we just chat just kind of for the fun of it about what's going to happen. We all make predictions. Well, we were, on, we were in that one of those chats and I, I said, I, guys, I think the pendulum is going to swing back to where we can, we can disagree and not hate each other anymore. But Phil said, Travis, I think you're naive. He said, you're thinking about a day when we didn't have CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and Newsmax. You're, you're going back to a, a day when, you know, you had to, remember when your daddy would tell you to get up and go and change the channel on the TV? There were just three. And then sometimes, uh, sometimes I'd go outside and turn the, remember you turn the antenna? And they'd holler through the window, that's good, don't move it, that's good. No, no, wait, turn it some more. I remember those days. But the truth is that 24-hour news channels are making a good living off our division. If we weren't so deeply divided, they, they wouldn't be doing as well. So they fuel that and they encourage that. And so I don't know if we'll ever go back to, to the more civil days or not. But if, but if we do, here's my, here's my question, if we do. Will people look back at the church and say we were part of the problem or part of the solution? Will they say that, that churches in America were part of the problem of division or were we part of the, the solution to division? Well, it's a hard question and I, I don't have any great answers, but I do want to offer to you a, an example of, of how we might be part of, of the solution without compromising our convictions. Let's take the recent ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court that reversed Roe versus Wade. 
the decision, the opinion of the court that, that the, the right to abort, and abortion is not in fact guaranteed in the U.S. Constitution. How we respond to that will maybe help, to that and other things, but this is just one example, will help determine whether we're part of the problem or part of the solution. Now, I know, I know. There are differences of opinion regarding Roe versus Wade, even within the Christian family. I understand that and I respect that. So let me just say that some of us, many of us, breathed a sigh of relief and Pray to pray of gratitude with the recent decision by the Supreme Court. But how will we respond to that? Some of you, maybe I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago in the newsletter. How we respond to something like Roe versus Wade will determine whether we're part of the solution or part of the problem. It's not a time to spike the football in the end zone. It's not a time to gloat or taunt or point fingers. It's a time to be kind and gracious. It's a time to not turn the knife in the wound or pour salt in the wound. It's it's a time to speak what many of us believe to be true in grace. Now, I know there's not enough kindness in the world for our for my opinion, I'll just say my opinion, to be welcomed in every arena. I know that. I, I can't be kind enough or gracious enough, a gentleman enough, to have my convictions welcomed in some arenas out there. But I, but I can be kind, and you can too. We can, we can speak what we believe to be truth. We can speak it uh, in, in love, what, whatever we sincerely believe to be true. So, we can, we can respond kindly. But more than that, whether or not we are truly pro-life will, will be, and I'm speaking for me, will be determined by, by where we go from here. In the mid-1800s, abortion was, was alarmingly common. So, the church responded not just through the court system, but churches responded. Churches began to start ministries to, to women who had unplanned pregnancies. The YWCA and the Salvation Army began to reach out to women who, who were pregnant and had been abandoned by irresponsible men. Christian evangelism was holistic, concerned not just about the soul and not just about heaven, but about life here. And so they began Crittenden homes and other homes for, as we used to say, unwed mothers. In fact, my wife Carrie was born, not, not in the mid-1800s, but in the mid-1900s, late mid-1900s, <laughs> in a home in New Orleans, Louisiana, which was then called a home for unwed mothers. So now, what, how will we respond Will we respond with increasing adoptions and foster kids? Will will we be truly pro-life, not just anti-abortion? Meaning, will we value all life from birth to death, regardless of the hue of someone's skin or the accent of their tongues? 
How we respond to something as culturally divisive as Roe versus Wade will determine, and that's just an example, but that will determine whether in, in the end we will be seen as part of the problem or as part of the solution. So let's not ever forget our ultimate citizenship and let's remember the difference between our Christian faith and our patriotism and let's remember that our citizenship in God's kingdom heightens our responsibility here, that we ought to be better Huntsvillians or Decaturans or Scottsburans or Fayettevillians or wherever you live because we're citizens of God's kingdom. We ought to be better Alabamians because we're citizens of God's kingdom. We ought to be better Americans because we're citizens of God's kingdom. Remember the Little League pledge I mentioned a moment ago? It says, I, I trust in God, I love my country. Martin Luther King struggled to right some wrongs in, uh, in America, and one of his, my favorite quotes of his is this, whom you would change, you must first love. If we're going to help change our country for the better, we have to choose to love our country, and love, remember, is a choice. This very morning, I saw a poll from this week asking people, uh, how positive they feel about the country. The same group of pollsters in 1979 asked the same question 69% of Americans said. No, excuse me, 2011, 2011. In 2011, pollsters asked Americans, how many of you feel positively about the country? 69%, 2011. Today, the same group of pollsters asked the same question. And it's less than 50%. Love of our country is a choice, not an emotion. And if we're going to be better Huntsvillians and Scottsburians and Alabamians and Americans, we, we have to choose to love our country. And then to act on that love, to make sure that everybody has a fair shake, regardless, as I said a moment ago, the hue of their skin or the accent of their tongue to speak our convictions, to vote our convictions, to try to persuade others to our convictions, to run for office. Some of you all ought to run for office. At least work for those who do. To speak of Jesus kindly, but courageously as the way and the truth and the life. And to do all that in ways that will as much as possible, build goodwill and foster peace. Citizenship in heaven, in that eternal kingdom, ought to make us better citizens of this temporal, earthly kingdom. Kristen Prasad was going to close with this story, so I'm going to close with it too. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of our heroes, The Cost of Discipleship, one of the most influential books in the last two or three hundred years in the Christian faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor in, in 1934, founded the Confessing Church. In 1933, a year earlier, Hitler had risen to power and had almost overnight changed the nation of Germany. And most German churchgoers were on board 
Most German churchgoers were on board with the swastika and with the Heil Hitlers and with the military aggression. Eventually, most German churchgoers would turn a blind eye to the Holocaust, to the attempted genocide of the Jewish people. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer founded the Confessing Church, much, much in the minority and at great risk to himself. In 1939, he came to America. He had an invitation to speak, or excuse me, to teach at his alma mater, Union Theological Seminary in New York City. So he came here to teach. But after two weeks, he said, I've made a mistake. And he wrote, I cannot be part of the solution of my country if I'm not part of the suffering of my country. So he went back to Germany. Again, at great risk to himself. He went back to Germany and he preached Jesus, not Hitler, which was vocational suicide. He was ostracized. He was active, very active in opposition to Hitler, which got him arrested. And on April 9, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer died at the end of a rope. Just days before his prison camp was liberated. If you read Bonhoeffer, there's no question that he knew where his citizenship was. He knew that he was a citizen of a of an eternal kingdom. But he also knew that being a citizen of of an eternal kingdom gave him great responsibility to do his best at making better this temporal, temporary, earthly kingdom. Even Even when he had to suffer to do that. I hope you and I will understand our responsibility to this kingdom. Not based on personal or political goals or dreams, but but understanding that that this, this citizenship we enjoy is a gift which comes not only with privilege but with great responsibility. Frankly, you and I won't always agree on how to make Huntsville and North Alabama and Alabama and the United States better. You all won't agree with each other over that either. But we ought to be in the arena. And we must never forget that our, the symbol of our ultimate citizenship, the symbol of our ultimate hope, the symbol of our ultimate identity is not a flag. It is a cross and an empty tomb. And before we are fellow Americans, we are brothers and sisters. And as brothers and sisters, citizens of an eternal kingdom, we can do a a good job, I believe, if we will, in making this kingdom a better kingdom.